Welcome, everyone. This is Jeff Cohn with the Wall Street Resource, and joining me is Ted Carcass. He's the CEO of Prophase Labs. Hello, Ted. Greetings, Jeff. Thanks so much for having me today. I really appreciate it. Oh, our pleasure. So, so Ted, for, for those that aren't familiar with uh, Prophase, uh, can you just give us a quick overview of the company? Sure. So historically, we rolled out the Coldies Cold Remedy brand. Uh, this is a zinc gluconate glycine lozenge. That's the magic formula in Coldies. Um, I became the CEO about 11 years ago. I turned around the company, restructured it, turned around the Coldies brand, uh, rebuilt it after it was in sharp decline, and ultimately we sold it to Myland for $50 million three years ago. And then uh, since that time, we did two stock buybacks. We reduced the number of shares outstanding from about 21 million to about 11.6 million shares outstanding. I'm a big believer in keeping the number of shares outstanding low. Um, we did keep the public company when we sold Coldies. We did keep the manufacturing facility, which still manufactures Coldies, as well as does significant manufacturing for seven or eight other uh, companies, uh, customers on a contract manufacturing basis. And then we also developed a new line of dietary supplements. So Coldies, if you think about it, was in about 40,000 stores across the country, all major food, drug, and mass, Walgreens, Walmart, CVS, and Rite Aid, and so forth. And uh, as well as uh, we have access to 120,000 convenience stores. So when we sold the Coldies brand, uh, we had all this great infrastructure and all this great distribution in place. So we developed a new line of dietary supplements, and our lead product um, was initially in Rite Aid and then got into uh, Walgreens. And now just in the fourth quarter of this year, we're in CVS and Walmart, among other retailers. So our dietary supplement business going into next year looks strong. And our manufacturing business, I, after I sold the Coldies brand, I restructured the manufacturing business uh, in the last year and a half. And now that business has taken off as well. Um, our, our numbers are running up uh, significantly. Your, your investors can certainly uh, look at our reported numbers for the last couple of quarters and, and see the trends there. So our base businesses of um, contract manufacturing, manufacturing lozenges, and our dietary supplement business are both growing strong. We have about $17 million of working capital. Our businesses are growing, and that leads to new initiatives that I'm working on, which are really the reason for this call today. Okay. Um, so in, in terms of the dietary supplements, that, that's a, a big market. Your addressable market, you figure, is what? Oh, I mean, it, it's billions and billions of dollars. Um, the gotcha. key in the dietary supplement business, which is actually kind of interesting, that business has been cleaned up over the last few years. It used to be that anybody could put a product on the shelf, make any claims that they wanted, sneak ingredients into their products and so forth, and now the industry is really clamped down so that um, – CVS, for example, um, they have an independent lab that specifically tests your product for every ingredient that it has the exact um, available amount of active ingredients that it's supposed to have and so forth. Um, and uh, at the same time, um, what makes our products different are the fact that we have clinical claims where we do actual clinical studies. We don't cheap out on our products. We really do source the best ingredients to create the best product. But then we go a step further and we do clinical studies, which sometimes are expensive. And a lot of dietary supplements don't like to do that, so they can't make the claims that we can make because we have the clinical studies to back up the claims. Um, and in the, world, in the dietary supplement world, uh, you cannot make claims if you don't have uh, clinical studies and proof to back up those claims. 
So when we put our lead product on the shelf within the first year at Rite Aid, um, it was doing as well as the leading product without us doing any advertising at all. And since that time, that's why our products are starting to gain acceptance. And we now have a critical mass of distribution across the country. So the, the dietary supplement business is big. And our, diet, our particular, for Prophase Labs, our dietary supplement business is now growing nicely. And because we're getting all, now that we have a critical mass of distribution, we're going to now start ramping up um, significantly more advertising. We're going to start doing more TV and radio and social media and so forth. Okay. Now, are you having to pay for shelf space? So the way the shelf space works, um, and this is a complicated world, but, you know, our company has been doing it for over 20 years. Um, every retailer is different. How you negotiate with the retailers is different. Some ask um, for something called slotting fees, where basically they get some free product up front to put it on their shelf. Um, and then there's all sorts of in-store merchandising, uh, something called TPRs, which are temporary price reductions. Um, some of the retailers, uh, they used to have something called a safe, where a certain percentage of the revenues um, go to um, are allocated to in-store um, advertising. So uh, that's kind of a complicated business, a little too much for this call. Uh, but it, it, it give, that gives you a taste of, of what's going on in the retail industry. So where I'm getting at is in terms of growth, does it, does it require yeah. a lot of capital? Oh, at this point, no. So we have um, our core businesses, our uh, manufacturing is generating uh, profits. Our dietary supplement business may not, only because I may choose to overinvest in advertising, similar to what I did with the Coldies brand. I, I overinvested in advertising which grew the brand awareness for the brand, uh, which made it an extremely valuable brand, uh, which is the reason we're able to sell it for $50 million. So now with the dietary supplement business that we have now, it's the same thing. It's, it's more a question of how much I want to spend on advertising. Um, but I, what we're about to you know, talk about are opportunities that our company has that are dramatically larger than what we're currently doing with manufacturing and dietary supplements. But those are two core businesses that are growing uh, they're going to do very well going into next year. Okay. And and so that, and you'd mentioned your manufacturing for, for others. So in terms of a revenue mix it, it, as it stands today, is the bulk of it manufacturing for others, or is it uh, the dietary supplement? Yeah, so the bulk right now is manufacturing, but, dietary, but both businesses are growing, and the dietary supplement business um, has significant upside now that we've gained acceptance at Walmart and CVS to go along with Walgreens and Rite Aid and a number of other retailers. So the momentum is picking up on distribution with the retailers. So we, we will expect our sales to grow um, significantly going into next year. But yes, the, the, the majority of the revenues at the moment are manufacturing. Okay. And you'd mentioned the, an exciting new area for you. You, you. you made an acquisition. Is that part of it or is that the direction you're headed? Yeah. So... Um, after we sold the Coldies brand, um, I'm a huge believer. Um, I, I, my background uh, is as an investor. Uh, I worked on Wall Street. I went to Columbia Business School, and then I went to work on Wall Street. And my background is as an investor, and I am a huge believer in terminal value on a per-share basis, which is something that all investors should learn about, and it's something that most managements of most small-cap companies either don't know about or don't care about because they don't really worry about dilution. I care about dilution every day. 
I am a large shareholder in the company. I take a small salary. I have a large number of shares. I want those shares to be worth a lot of money, which means I have to be very careful when, when it comes to spending uh, capital and when it comes to raising capital. And as I said, I have a background on Wall Street. So I take all that very seriously. I know what I'm doing when it comes to raising capital and avoiding dilution. So what we're working on right now, after we sold the Coldies brand, I wasn't sure what our next move was, so I did two stock buybacks, reducing the number of shares outstanding, and then I did three special dividends to take care of the shareholders. At this point, nice. I've now found some great new opportunities, and we've entered what's called the CLIA lab business, um, which basically means we, have, we purchased our first high-complexity PCR uh, molecular lab in Old Bridge, New Jersey, initially to enter um, lab processing for COVID testing. And the dynamics in this industry are tremendous. So I, I put out in a couple of press releases, I gave some initial guidance. Um, and this first lab, we're building it out rapidly. We're building the capacity. I spent six months doing research uh, into the lab business so that we purchase the most efficient equipment, the most efficient consumables, so that um, our pricing and our gross margins um, are competitive and or better than virtually anybody else in the industry. And at the same time, the demand is so great for COVID testing right now that the turnaround times of some of the big labs has now uh, stretched back out again to three days, five days, and seven days. We, we can provide 24-hour um, turnaround service uh, for the reporting of results. And in fact, if you're a local customer and you bring us specimens in the morning, we, we could even have your results back at the end of the day. So. Um, we're building out this lab business very aggressively, very rapidly, and the two, the two or three key points are that we are price competitive, so a big percentage of the business is insurance-based, so pricing really isn't an issue, um, but another percentage of it is cash-based customers, uh, colleges and universities, for example, sports teams. Um, that's, that's not reimbursed by um, insurance, and in those cases, we can actually provide a lower price than the larger labs, and at the same time, give better turnaround service. So there's incredible demand. And in my mind, it's just a matter of how quickly we can build out capacity. And I put out some numbers in our press release where our first goal uh, by the end of December is to have a capacity, I believe, of around 4,000 um, tests per day. That's the capacity and to have a goal that we're processing 1,000 units a day. And then I had a second goal that by the end of March, to have a capacity of around seven or 8,000 units um, and potentially to be processing 4,000 units a day. And so to put that in perspective, I gave a very, um, what I believe are conservative numbers in terms of what we think our profitability would be. And I said, if we just achieve $30 um, in our uh, gross margins, um, and our, actually these would be net operating margins, pre-tax operating margins, it's just $30 a test. If we just make $30 a test, which is below industry average right now, and we just did 1,000 units a day, that works out to $7.5 million a, a year of pre-tax earnings. If we achieve 4,000 units a day, then we're talking about $30 million in pre-tax earnings. And understand that 4,000 units a day, that's just the first goal. That's the goal I'm looking for by the end of the first quarter. And understand we only have 11.6 million shares outstanding. And our first goal, our first real goal by the end of the first quarter is to be at um, a run rate of $30 million in pre-tax operating earnings. Those are big numbers relative to our number of shares outstanding. 
And the last part of this, um, I have a history of under-promising and over-delivering. I'm working harder now than I've ever worked in my life. I'm jazzed. I'm working 24-7, and I'm doing everything I can to build out the capacity. And I've already um, intimated in the press releases that we are aggressively pursuing additional opportunities of acquiring additional labs or building out additional labs. And you can bet that I'm going to follow through on my promises. And so I expect our laboratory business to be very, very large in the coming months. Ted, is um, COVID 100% of the labs business? And, and what happens uh, when COVID dies down? That's a great question. And it's, it's, uh, that, that's a two-pronged question that, we, that deserves uh, several answers. Um, first of all, yes. The way I look at COVID is that's getting us into the laboratory business. Believe it or not, they're actually as, as profitable as COVID is and, and uh, as much as the demand is so tremendous and, and you know, the supply-demand uh, features of COVID testing right now are absolutely huge. There's an enormous amount of money to be made. But the reality is there's plenty of other testing out there where the gross margins are significantly greater than COVID. So the way I look at COVID is, I did my six months of research before we bought our first lab. We have it all in place now to ramp up the COVID business, start generating tremendous revenues and earnings. That's then going to afford us the opportunity without diluting shareholders to continue to build and to diversify into other areas of testing that, are, that actually have greater profit margins. So that, for instance, the first lab we bought also has um, something called RPP, which, which has to do with uh, the respiratory panel for testing for, you know, everything from flu and strep throat and everything else. Um, and then we're going to look into diversifying into other areas, whether that's UTI or genetics. Um, there's some areas out there that are really interesting for testing where the gross margins are large and the business could be uh, big. And so we actually see COVID as the starting point to get in into the much larger laboratory business as a whole. And again, our thought is we're going to be extremely efficient. We're going to have, be extremely reliable and have great turnaround times. And we think that we're going to be building, because of COVID, we're going to be building large um, base of customers, and then we will leverage those relationships and diversify into other areas of testing. Um, the other part, that was actually really two questions, and uh, I just have to give sure. you the other answer. The other answer is COVID's not going away anytime soon. Think of it like flu. Does flu go away? It, it, it mutates from year to year, but it doesn't actually go away. Um, I'm talking to experts who think COVID is going to be around for five years. I don't want to give dire predictions like that, but, but I can tell you this much. There's virtually no question in my mind that next fall we're going to have another wave of COVID, and by then we will already be diversifying into other areas of the lab processing business anyway. Okay. And so just to be clear, you don't have a proprietary test for COVID, you process for other people's tests. Is that correct? That's correct. So there's a number of different tests out there. So for instance, we have a fantastic relationship with Spectrum Solutions, which I believe has one of the best uh, collection devices on the market. Um, their collection device is saliva-based. More and more um, people are starting to gravitate away from swabs towards saliva. One of the reasons being is that people particularly people that are tested uh, regularly or daily, they don't want that swab stuck way up their nose. Also, what's interesting with a swab, um, the healthcare practitioner really doesn't want to hurt you. So you have a healthcare practitioner that's actually subconsciously motivated 
not to stick the swab too far up or for too long. And the problem is if you don't get a good specimen on the swab, you could end up with false negatives. You don't have that with saliva because with saliva, you're just spitting into a cup. So as long as there's saliva in the cup, you're not going to get a false negative from not getting a good specimen. Um, and then, uh, you know, of course, people don't like the idea of the, the swab being stuck way up their nose. Um, but what's interesting, this, this particular device, the Spectrum, they have a buffer which actually kills the virus but doesn't affect the RNA strand. So you can still do the testing on the RNA strand to see if you are infected with COVID. But that's just one example. But our lab processing, we can process swabs. We can process um, Spectrum Solutions um, collection device. When, in fact, we're one of the few labs that is validated to do so. And because of our relationship with Spectrum, I am confident that we are going to receive an enormous amount of business from uh, Spectrum Solutions customers going forward. And it's actually one of the reasons why I decided to get into this business. So I, I believe there's going to be tremendous demand for our lab processing. Um, it's a relationship-based business, and we've developed some great relationships over the last six months. So you mentioned Spectrum. So, so who are the customers for the labs, and, and what's the marketing channel to, to drive the traffic to, to your labs? So, yeah, so I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. Spec, Spectrum works with Major League Baseball. They were, they were testing all of the players. Next year, they may not only be testing the players, they could be testing the fans. Could you imagine 50,000 fans need to be tested on an almost daily basis? Um, could you imagine if we actually had one of those accounts and we actually had the capacity to do it? I'm giving you a real-life big example, but it's one of many um, Spectrum, other customers, um, or all sorts of sports, National Hockey League and PGA and so forth. Um, but then we're also talking about the universities. Uh, there are a lot of people more and more that are moving, that are being tested regularly, that are moving over to saliva. Uh, but, you know, you also have your cities. You have every city in the country. Um, you have people asking, where can I get tested? We could potentially have mobile labs that pull into a city um, where, and actually um, you look at your urgent health cares, uh, your city MDs. There, if, you, if you go into New York City right now, um, on any given day, you look at a city MD, the line is two or three blocks or four blocks long of people in line just waiting to get tested. And then those uh, swabs that are collected, they have to be processed somewhere. And the, some of the major labs, um, their turnaround times are now three, five, and seven days. People can't wait three, five, or seven days. If they're doing this because they have to go back to work, you can't wait three, five, seven days. If we can provide 24-hour turnaround time, um, just imagine how attractive that is to uh, these large customers, like a city MD and urgent health care, um, like a baseball team, um, you know, wh whatever it is. Uh, it runs the gamut. Um, the demand for testing is through the roof. The lab capacity isn't there. The turnaround times are long, and we're providing some great solutions. Um, and so we expect uh, to generate an enormous amount of business going forward. So do I have this right? You, you have a CLIA waiver, and does that allow you to set up the mobile lab? Does that allow you to be on-site at the ballpark or the large corporation? Sure. So that, that's a little complicated because you have a lab director, involved that has a license um, and um, that that's a little too complicated for this call uh, but the idea certainly is that with our CLIA lab and with our license um, is to extend that beyond just in the lab and so for instance the mobile lab you could think of it more as a as a um, 
you know, a mobile sprinter or something where actually you're just using that for collections and then you send those collections back to your lab for processing. So there's a difference between actually processing in the lab as opposed to collecting in the lab. I'm sorry, collecting in the sprinter and sending back. It's no different than a city MD um, or one of the urgent health cares where they're collecting the COVID samples, but they're not actually processing them. They're sending right. them out to be processed. So, for instance, you know, a city MD could be a potential customer of ours where all of a sudden they could be sending us thousands of, of, of specimens a day to be processed. You know, that's just an example. That's a hypothetical example. Yeah, got it. Thank you. And so if we look at the business today uh, in terms of revenue mix, you know, you've got the dietary, you've got the manufacturing, you've got the, the COVID testing. Um, what's the mix today? And then if we do this call a year from now, what would you expect the, the mix to be? The, the mix is, um, so I have to be careful uh, in terms of what we have um, released publicly. Say the I biggest don't part of business and do it that way. manufacturing. Biggest. You know, the biggest part of the business is manufacturing. A smaller part of the business is dietary supplements. And we're just starting now to ramp up the lab processing. Um, but based on the numbers that I just gave you, based on 4,000 processing 4,000 tests per day, and that's my goal. That's my stated goal for the end of March. That's, that's a run rate of $30 million of earnings. And, and the truth of the matter, that's based on a, on a below average industry number where I said uh, $30 would be our um, sort of, uh, that would be our pre-tax operating margin per test would be $30. The industry is actually higher than that right now. And that's based on 4,000 tests a day. So $30 million of earnings, um, what the revenues are, it, it, it obviously would be a multiple of that. So you, you compare that, obviously, you know, within, within just a matter of months, the vast majority of our revenues and earnings could be um, lab processing related. And then, you know, the growth there, um, the potential for growth is just enormous right now. I mean, it, it literally enormous. And so the real question is how quickly – I build out the capacity not only of this lab, but also hypothetically if we were to purchase another lab or build out another lab and build out that capacity, how quickly we would build that out. And you can bet when I said I'm working 24-7, I really am. And so you can bet that I am working aggressively to uh, build out capacity and to build out that business. Um, and obviously then the numbers that I gave you for the end of March, uh, going uh, forward after March, we would be looking for dramatically larger numbers. Okay, and but so you, have to walk, you have to walk before you run, and I, I, I always want to under-promise and over-deliver, so I've got to leave something to come back with to make people uh, feel good and for a follow-up call. But I can sure, tell you I'm very optimistic it. about what we're doing right now. So, so the gating factor in building out that capacity, uh, is, is it a regulatory process? Is it finding somebody willing in this crazy market to, to yeah, well, sell? Yeah, well, it's knowing the business. It's ordering the equipment. Um, it's having the infrastructure, the people, it's having the capital. We have $17 million of working capital. We're, we're aggressive. We have the relationships. We're already uh, um, ordering additional equipment. So um, it's a lot. It, it, it's, you know, it's, it's a lot of things, but we're working on all of them, and we're moving aggressively to do so. And, and you have several businesses. So how do we look at your, your gross margins? What's the range, I guess? Uh, yeah, so um, oh, I don't know when we look. When we had um, that, that's a, that's a great question. I actually don't have the numbers in front of me. I don't have my CFO with me, 
But what I, what I can tell you is um, going into next year, the lab processing revenues and earnings are going to be so great, and the gross profit margins there um, are obviously, as I described, are, are really, you know, significant. Um, you know, I mean, the, net, the pre-tax net operating margins, um, you know, could be 50% or higher. Um, I mean, that's pre-tax net. And that's after employees and overhead and so forth. Um, so we're really talking about big numbers. So if you look at the mix of our business, the, the mix of our business, you know, turns out, and these are just projections right now, so understand that I did not read a forward-looking statement for this call, so understand that these are projections and projections are not guarantees. Um, but looking forward into next year, if the business ramps up the way I think it's going to, then the, the majority of our business is going to be lab processing and the gross margins associated with that are going to be, you know, significantly greater than what our gross margins are now. So our, our gross margins should be growing dramatically going into next year as well as our revenues and our earnings. Okay. And then is this block and tackle, or, or what are some of the events and catalysts that we should look for over the next 12 months? Well, I am looking forward to uh, providing investors with updates. Um, so um, the way I look at it, um, you want to, as an investor, uh, you should be tracking the number of shares outstanding in our company. You should be tracking the capacity that we're building, and then you should be tracking the actual execution of um, processing COVID testing, and then later in the year, next year, you should be tracking um, our diversification into lab processing um, in other areas outside of COVID. Okay. And before we go, do you want to just summarize, um, you know, why this is an attractive place to be? Yeah. The reason it's attractive, uh, the reason why you want to consider an investment in our company, um, yes. and I know I said this twice already, is because I underpromise and overdeliver, or at least I have in the past, and I hope to in the, in the future. And more importantly, uh, my background is as an investor. Um, I've invested in hundreds, if not thousands, of companies. I've consulted to, you know, tens, if not hundreds of, of companies. Uh, over 40 years, and most small-cap development stage companies have managements that simply don't execute, and it's frustrating. You can believe in the product. You can believe in what they're doing, um, and I am here to tell you I'm here to execute on behalf of the shareholders. I keep my salary low, my compensation low, my shareholdings are large, and therefore shareholders know that I'm protecting their interests, that I'm going to give them uh, a fair chance to actually make money with their investment because I'm doing this right alongside of them and I have their backs. And uh, my entire life, I've always uh, believed in helping others. That's really how I got into this business was investing in companies and then telling my friends what I invested in and then they would invest too. I love helping people. I love helping people make money. But most of all, I love helping people. It just, I've been, I, that's been in me since I was you know, a little boy. Um, and so the one thing I can tell you is I'm going to do everything I can to make uh, our company, Prophase Lab, successful on behalf of the shareholders. And as far as the lab business is going, concerned, I think COVID literally could be around for years. And by the way, a question you didn't ask, which has come up, is about vaccines. Um, and I'll just throw that out there very quickly. The average vaccine is, is effective about 50 to 70% of the time, and typically um, only 50 to 70% of the public actually get vaccinated. So let's take the high end, the most optimistic viewpoint that it's 70% effective and 70% of the population takes it. 
So that means you end up with a net of 49% of people who actually took the vaccine and it's actually effective on them. So if only 50% of the population is vaccinated, then you still have to be tested to know who, who has COVID and who doesn't have COVID. And just because you were successfully vaccinated doesn't mean you couldn't still be a carrier of it. Um, and even if you're not, you don't know if you're, you know, whether you're going to a restaurant or, you know, you're going into, you know, any community area, um, everyone else has to know. So it, it doesn't affect testing at all. Um, and so the vaccines are interesting, but everyone that gets vaccinated is, is literally still going to have to be tested. Um, and, I, you know, and the other thing I'll tell you is not that much different from flu. You know, COVID is a virus just like the flu virus. It changes from year to year, but it never goes away. So whether COVID, I hope COVID goes away. I hope for everybody, everybody's sake that it, that it goes away. But in the meantime, if we can help people um, and help with testing and, and help safeguard people from those that are sick, um, I'm really happy to do that as well. Okay. Well, Ted, thanks so much for sharing the prophase story. Oh, my pleasure. And again, once again, Jeff, really appreciate the opportunity and for you to give me um, uh, this platform today. Have a great day. Thank, Thank you so you. much.